0: Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. We're a church serving the South Central Pennsylvania area with a mission to help as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. If you aren't already, make sure to connect with us online through social media or at grandpoint.church and be sure to let us know how God is moving in your life. Now let's check out this week's message from Pastor Chad. Man, isn't it great to be a part of the Grand Point family? Don't you, don't you love being here on Sunday morning or worshiping with us online? Welcome to our online community. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I was just sitting there uh, just contemplating on how blessed we are uh, to be able to worship together, to be able to call this family. And I just want to this morning share with you a couple things that are going on uh, kind of in our church family and what's coming up. Uh, last night, I got a text in the middle of the night from our youth pastor, Mark Hetzler, and anytime you get a text from your youth pastor in the middle of the night, you realize something's not right, uh, because usually they're sleeping by three in the morning. And so I got this text from Mark Ketzler, and he had actually been taken to the hospital last night, and they were running some tests and just got a uh, text before we had our service this morning. Uh, they actually found a couple of blood clots in his lung. And so he's going to be in the hospital, at least for the rest of the today, while they um, figure out what's going on. The doctors are upbeat, they're, they're telling them everything's going to be okay, but I know for a young family, it's always nervous when you face these kind of things. So I just want to take a second this morning and pray for Mark and Sophia. Mark and Sophia, if you're watching at the hospital, know that we here are united praying for you, rooting for you, and just what God's best for you. So would you just join me in prayer this morning as we pray for Mark and Sophia? Father, uh, we thank you so much for Mark and Sophia. Lord, we thank you for what they add to our family. Lord, we thank you for how they've impacted already in their time here. And Lord, I pray that you would give them strength, give them peace, give the doctors wisdom as they walk through their day today. Lord, I pray that we as a church family would be encouraging to them, that we would continue to uphold them in our prayers. And I pray that through this, they would be able to make much of you uh, wherever they are. Lord, we thank you for them, and we pray your blessing upon them. And we ask it all in your Son's name. Amen. Hey, thank you for uh, joining me in praying for them this morning, and I would encourage you, remember them in your prayers today as God uh, brings them to your mind as you walk through your day. A couple other things that have gone on around here that are pretty exciting. Uh, Crystal Stein, our Director of Communications and our online director, uh, had her second book published this week. And it is always awesome when we get to send somebody out and have an impact that they've made impact the kingdom even beyond us. And so, Crystal, if you're watching, if you're online, put a note congratulating Crystal in the notes, and I know she will appreciate that. And then also next week... We're going to be having what we call our Vision Weekend. And if you've been around here long, you know our Vision Weekend is when we begin to focus on what is God going to do in our church next. If you follow us or you've been here any length of time, you know we have a 1224 vision. And that vision really is being lived out daily by each one of us as we collectively seek to accomplish some things. Several years ago, uh, we launched our Shippensburg campus out of our 1224 plan. And now in another community, we get to see the hope of the gospel lived out in the Shippensburg area, and that community of faith is growing and doing incredible things, making a difference in the community there. A couple years ago, we adopted seven pastors in India, and we call them our pastors because we, we literally covered their salary and enabled them to, to devote their entire life to making a kingdom difference in, in Malda, India. And even through this time, we're getting stories of families that are coming to Christ and baptisms that are taking place because people want to take the next steps on their journey. Uh, We've been able to help uh, a, a church in our community, Overflow Community Church, make a difference on the other side of town. And next week, we're going to be talking about what those next steps are, uh, talking a little bit, hopefully, about our our Greencastle campus and and how we're excited about what God's going to do in that community as we walk forward. So all that to say this, you will not want to miss next week. Whether it's Saturday night, Sunday morning, just make sure you're here or at, at the Shippensburg campus, and we would love to talk about what God is continuing to do as we seek to take our next steps as a church. Uh, to fulfill his mission in the community around us. But in the meantime, we get to talk more about the Lord's Prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you has this series impacted you in a great way? I, I mean, I'm that way. You know, there are some series that just kind of cut to the core of who we are. You know, they challenge us in what we believe or how we look at God or how we interact in our daily lives with accomplishing his purpose. Ultimately, this series has set the stage for us to understand how to live in such a way that our prayers and our lives reflect God's kingdom purposes. You know, our prayers reflect who God is and how we can humble ourselves before him in order to accomplish his purpose in this day and age. And this week, we're going to continue right on walking through this Lord's Prayer, this prayer, and this Teach Us to Prayer series. And we're going to look at this phrase. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. You know, it's interesting because this part of the prayer begins with the word and. You know, it, it's a conjunction, it's tying what we've just talked about in God providing every provision we need with Him as the bread of life, tying it directly to this idea of forgiveness both vertically before God and horizontally with man. Give us this day taught us that God provides our ultimate need in the bread of life. You know, this passage is going to teach us today that there's a direct correlation between God's forgiveness of us and our ability to forgive those who've sinned against us. You know, anytime we preach a message on forgiveness, or I hear a message on forgiveness, you know what I want to do? I want to do one of two things. I either want to check out and be like, you know what, I've heard so much on forgiveness. That's the basis of our faith. I understand that. And I want to check out and I start making my grocery list and my to-do list for the next week. At least I do it in my head. Or if I look like I'm taking notes, I may actually do it and act like I'm taking notes. But my, my thing is I, I tend to check out. Or I want to choke the guy who's talking. It's like if one more person asks me to forgive or talks about forgiveness, I think I might just literally hit them. When we're done. So I'm asking you, please don't do that because I don't like pain. But what I am asking you to do is do this. Don't check out. Don't check out on this message until the end. In fact, because I realize that there are some people here who you know what believe I'm beyond forgiveness. You know, you don't understand, Chad, what I've done in this life. You don't understand how I've lived or who I've hurt or what I've done. And and you're sitting there, and in your mind, you're already beginning to say, you know what, I'm not sure I can forgive myself. And ultimately, when we begin to hear a phrase like that, what I realize is probably you also believe that God won't forgive you. And you know, I've been at that place in my life where I just wrestle with that concept of, can God truly forgive me? There are others sitting in the room, when they hear a a message on forgiveness, they begin to ask this question. Can I truly forgive someone else? You know, as we go through a week, there are times where, where somebody offends us or somebody sins against us, and it's really easy to forgive You know, our kids, you know, snap at us as they're walking out the door because they've got a test that day, and and they're just going to be, you know, kids. And it's easy to forgive. You know, our our spouse is having a rough day, and they they snap at us, and it's like, okay, I can forgive that. I know you're having a rough day. I know it's pretty easy. But then there are times where people sin against us or sin against those we love, and it ultimately goes straight to our core. It ultimately comes to the place where, humanly speaking, it's impossible to forgive. You know, if that's you this morning, in either of those situations, I want to challenge you with this. Wait to the end to determine what your next step is. Don't decide ahead of time what you can do or what you can't do or what God can do or can't do. Let's actually dive into his word and look at this idea of forgive us our debts as we forgive those who we have debts with. You know, as we begin to look at this, what we've done in this entire series is we've taken a look at another passage that helps clarify what the prayer we're praying is all about. And this morning, we're going to do the same thing. In fact, we're going to be looking at, at Psalm 51, David's, um, David's prayer to God and him pleading out his heart to God. But in order for you to understand Psalm 51, I need to give you a little backstory on why it was written. When we look at the person of David in the New Testament, is known as a man after God's own heart. He was the king of Israel. I mean, this was a guy who had come to the pinnacle of his career, so to speak. The pinnacle of life. He was God's spokesman to an entire nation. But something incredible happened in his life that when I read, I'm like, man, I don't know about this. Because in David's life as a king, he would regularly send people out to war. You know, as a king, he would go with them. And and at this point in the nation of Israel, they were literally, anybody they would go to war with, they were kicking butt and taking names. I I mean, it's like they would walk in and just annihilate whoever was there. And God was with them in everything that they did. But at this point in David's life, for whatever reason, he had sent his troops out to war, and he didn't go with them. Now, I've heard a lot of people talk about how bad David was. I'm going to give him a pass on that one. Who knows? Maybe he had a bad day. Maybe he, you know, he was sick. I don't know. But for whatever reason, in this journey, he stayed at home. He stayed home and was, was taking care of things. But one day he decided, you know what? I'm going to go out and look over everything that, that I'm entrusted with. So he went up to the roof of his um, uh, castle. And if you think I say that funny, that's because I'm from the Midwest. It is a roof. R-O-O-F. Roof. So if you're from the Midwest, you understand. So he was out looking over everything that he had. And as he was looking over, he saw a beautiful woman, Bathsheba. And as Bathsheba was, was on the rooftop uh, cleansing herself, he looked down and he began to ask those around him and said, hey, who's that lady that's there? I would like to meet her. And immediately they said, that's Uriah the Hittite's wife. And at that point in David's life, for whatever reason, he didn't seem to care that it was Uriah's wife. And he said, could you bring, your, could you bring Bathsheba to me? And at that point, David knew what he was going to do. In fact, the pastor said he looked on with her with pleasure. And so when she came to his house, uh, he ended up having sex with her in the castle. And at that point, David sent her back home. And in his mind, I'm sure he was thinking, you know what? Everything is going to be okay. But then something happened. At that point, word came back to David that Bathsheba's pregnant. And at that point in David's mind, he had some dilemmas that he's facing. You know, could you imagine what would happen if my kingdom found out that I stayed home, sent warriors away, and then I slept with one of my warrior's wives and got her pregnant? You know, he's got this tension wrestling with it inside him, so he said, I'm going to take care of this problem. In fact, I got the idea. I'm going to bring Uriah home, and when Uriah comes home, he's going to miss his wife so much, he'll go home, sleep with her. Everybody will think the kid's his, and my life will go on as normal. But that's not exactly what happened. Uriah was such a man of honor. He said, you know what? I am not going to leave my brothers out on the battlefield while I'm home enjoying life. So I am going to stay in the courtyard of the castle, and I am going to stay here until they send me back. Well, David got word that Uriah did not go home. So David thought, man, what can I do now? My plan didn't work. You know, Uriah stayed here. Everybody knows that he did. So he decided, you know what? I'm going to bring Uriah into my castle. I'm going to feed him well, get him drunk. And then when he's out of his mind, he'll go home and I'll be good. Well, the problem was even in that, Uriah said, I'm not going home and stayed at the castle. Now, can you imagine this dilemma with David? You know what? The entire nation's going to find me out. I'm not going to be able to be God's spokesman. What in the world am I going to do? And rather than just turn and say, hey, I've sinned, he said this. I'm going to double down, and I'm going to have Uriah the Hittite killed. And so he sent Uriah back to war, and he told told the men, all right, when you are in the heat of battle, I want you to take five steps back and leave Uriah out to die. They obeyed the king's command, and literally at the command of the king, Uriah was dead. You know, as I begin to think about that, I just want to recap this story For you real shortly. In this passage, David used his position of authority to make sexual advances and please himself. When the initial cover-up did not work, he had someone killed. It seemed he would get away with it until a man named Nathan came along and exposed his sin. Now, this is the backdrop to what we're going to read in Psalm 51. You know, if I'm sitting here and looking at this story, I'm asking myself a couple of questions. You know, could God actually forgive somebody like this? You know, with everything that he had done, from murder to adultery to abuse of authority, and all of that wrapped up, can God really forgive this guy? And probably the second question that's humanly hard. If that happened to me, If I were Uriah's family, if I were Bathsheba, could I forgive David? You know, ultimately, when we put ourselves in that tension, that's the tension that we're reading about here in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. You know, as we look at this passage Uh, Evan, Keegan, Aaron, and Luke are going to read to us this passage. And I just want you to listen to the heartbeat of David as this passage is read. Psalms 51, 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out of my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight and so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me behold you delight in truth in the in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean wash me and I will be whiter than snow Let me hear joy and gladness let the bones you have crushed rejoice Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt God create and clean heart for me and Renew a steadfast spirit within me do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me Restore the joy of your salvation to me, and give me a willing spirit. You know, as we listen to that, and listen to David's song that he wrote about his experience, I want us to understand that we must truly first understand God's forgiveness of us if we are truly going to understand the pattern that he gives us in forgiving those around us. You know, as I began studying this passage, I realized something this week. As I began reading the Lord's Prayer, this is the only point in the Lord's Prayer that he makes it extremely personal. Yes, he teaches us about him as a loving God and allows us to understand and our minds to run and how we can live into that and how holy he is. But when it comes to this issue of forgiveness, it's interesting because he says this, forgive us our debts as you forgive those who have sinned against you. You know, it's the only time in there where he truly says that we need to do something. As I begin to look at that passage, I realize probably the reason that he did that is because forgiveness is one of the most difficult things for us to do as human beings. In fact, not only did he make it personal there, immediately after the Lord's Prayer, the next two verses double down, and he talks about our willingness to forgive those around us. As I begin to think about that, what I realized is that each one of us needs to understand the depth of God's forgiveness in our lives in order to understand how we truly are to forgive those around us. As we look at the passage that the boys just read, what we realize is David was desiring to live a life that was free. He was desiring to live a life full of joy, but it couldn't be accomplished without true repentance and forgiveness. In fact, in verse 10 of that passage, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You know, what I know is that when I choose to live either not being forgiven or not forgiving, the joy seems to be zapped out of me. You know, I seem to be living a life that is full of anger and frustration. And, and my life just does not seem full of joy. But in this passage, David says, create in me. It's the same word that's also used in the creation passage in Genesis chapter 1. It's the idea that we want God to make something new within us that we cannot make ourselves. There's nothing that we can do of ourselves to create a clean heart within us. It's it's something that we have to rely on somebody else to do. A clean heart is a heart that is free of guilt and penalty despite what we have done. You know, that feeling of living free of guilt and free of, of regret can only be accomplished with God's redemptive process. That verse goes on to say, renew that right spirit within me. Make new again the spirit that was once in me. The spirit that is now broken, the spirit that is not there. And then in verse 12, he says this, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore indicates the returning of joy. Often we refer to this as a time of innocence. Lord, if you could just take me back to the time where I didn't know what this was. Man, if I could just go there, it would be better. David is desiring the joy that had been in his life prior to the sin that he had done. It was most felt, that joy was most felt when he was closest to God. And the joy came because of God's salvation power in his life. You know, the question we are all asking is this, how do we get what we are all longing for? How do we get to the point where we have that joy and the renewed spirit and the joy of our salvation again? I believe if we look at Psalm 51, and actually I'm going to look at it kind of in reverse, starting in verse 5, I believe we're going to see the pattern that takes place. In Psalm 51, verse 5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The first thing I believe we have we must do is understand the actual condition of our heart. You know, in this verse, when we give it a quick glance, we think, you know, what David's mother sinned and that's why he was conceived. But that's not actually uh, what this verse is saying. It was saying, while in while I was in my mother's womb, I was a sinner. In other words, it was the idea is I was already sinful when my mother conceived me. If you don't believe that, I would encourage you watch a six month old baby. Anybody here have twins? I, we had twins growing up. Yeah, there's a couple people around that had twins. Did you guys ever play tricks on your twins? You know, did you ever did you ever try experiments with them? You know, you got two that are the same age. You just want to see if some of your hypotheses are correct. Well, I have to say I did that to some degree. You know, you just want to see. Okay, are, are six month olds really that sinful? And so, you know, what I would do, I would take one bottle and hold it up between two six month old boys. You know, they ate pretty good I mean I show you pictures they were pretty chunky little boys so they, they weren't going to starve but you know what would happen as soon as I hung, held up one bottle in front of both of them they would immediately begin fighting each other to take the bottle and you know if I gave it to one you know what the other one would do they would scream and they would cry and they would be like I want the bottle now why does he get it when I don't you know what we call that when they get older Selfishness? I want once my. Were they going to start? No. You know, mom had never let them miss a meal to that point. But can I tell you this? In the same way at six months old that they were selfish, I continue at 40 something six years old to be selfish at times. Can I tell you the root of sin was in us at birth? There is nothing that we could do to escape that power of sin. In fact, if you read many of the psychologists today, and even read in Scripture, what we realize is the seed of sin in us as young, is the fruition of our acts when we were old, no matter how bad. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter seventeen, verse nine, it says this: the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand the wickedness of our own heart? The reality is, left unchecked, I don't know the wickedness of my own heart. There was a statement that my grandfather used to say, and it was, but by the grace of God, there go I. And literally what he meant by that is, I am one step away from ruining my life with sin. And David, as he wrote this, he began at the place where he fully understood the condition of his own heart. His own heart was wicked and desperately sinful, and there was nothing he could do about it. When we look at the verse just before that, in Psalm 51, it says, "...so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment." You know, we must have a complete confession of our sins. This idea of justified by your words and blameless in your judgment literally is the idea that we can blame no one or there can be no blame shifting when this occurs. It's being fully exposed so that nothing is left to question but the reality that I am guilty. You know, our natural tendency is to protect ourselves, protect our reputation, protect our position. True confession cannot take place if we don't yield to the tension. You know, that tension to protect ourselves, the tension to protect reputation, the tension to protect our position, if we don't yield that away, we truly can't confess. You know, let me go back to my kids. When they were little, what was their initial response when I went in the room and asked the question, why did you hit your brother or sister? Their initial response was, they Made me do it. You know, naturally human. I mean, that's what the natural. I didn't. I will tell you that. I did not teach them that. That was just part of who they were. Just like my parents didn't have to teach me that. But can I tell you as we get older, we do the same thing with different words. You know, why did you. Say, well, They tempted me. My situation required it. You don't understand. I had to because... And we begin to do that. Whereas true confession says this, you know what? I am guilty, and there is nothing but my wicked heart that caused me to do that. When we begin to have confession that way, we truly begin to understand what we must do before God. In verse 4 it says, Against you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight. You know, this part of the verse almost seems counterintuitive. It almost seems kind of weird that he would say, Against you only have I sinned, O God, because of the fact that when we sin, we often think that we've sinned against an individual. And while I realize that is true, This verse is actually speaking in a hyperbole that begins to say, you know, the extent of my sin is found in God first. This is speaking to the degree and the primacy of my sin. All sin can be found in a root that says I sinned against God. In fact, if we would go back to the the Old Testament and look at the Ten Commandments that God gave to the nation of Israel, the first commandment that he gave is, thou shalt have no other God before you. The early church fathers would often write that every other sin hangs on that one sin. Every other thing that we do is saying this God, I am replacing you with something that I want. I am replacing what I am not finding in you at this moment with something that can never fulfill me. In this verse, it uses the word you twice. Against you, you only, have I sinned. In the Hebrew language, whenever a word is used twice in a row, it signifies something. We need to pay attention. It's coming down to the idea that it shows the passion and the intensity and the emotion that David is speaking with. You know, David is literally falling on his face, pleading with God because he realized that the the first part of his sin dealt with God and God alone. You know, David understood the condition of his heart. He laid open his sin and his guilt before a holy God. He realized that God alone was the one who he sinned against, and he repented and turned away from what he did. And then the last thing that this passage teaches us is that forgiveness is only possible Because of God's love and mercy. In the first verse in Psalms 51, it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. We have to realize that God's love for us is steadfast. It's unearned and it's unconditional. You know, when we look at those two words, unearned and unconditional, it creates a tension within us. When something is unearned, it's something that I don't deserve. It's something that because of my action, because of the way I am, because of who I am, I in no way deserve God's love or mercy. But yet then he tells me that his love is unconditional. It's a promise that I can have. It's something that I am guaranteed. And so as I sit here in my sinfulness, what I understand is this. I don't deserve his love but I can be confident because it's unconditional. And as I begin to wrestle through those tensions, it ought to cause me to live in a way that I've never lived before. Because when I get something that I don't deserve, it makes me want to live up to that. But at the same time, if I'm sitting here and I'm wrestling with the sinfulness that I have, I can realize God's love is not based on what I do, but rather His love for me. You know, David gave us a great example, a great pattern for what God's forgiveness and redemption is in our life. It's when I can come to the place where I realize that my heart is wicked and no sin is beyond me and myself. And I am willing to lay open my life and say, you know what, I know I am sinful, this is the guilt, and I am giving no excuse other than my heart is sinful. And coming to God and saying, God, I know I have sinned against you, I'm laying myself open, will you, because of your unending mercy, because of the unearned love and your promised love, will you please now forgive me? You know, that's the pattern we see, that's the encouragement we see out of Psalm chapter 51. You know, as I begin to look at this passage, I believe there's two ways that we need to respond I believe the first way is there are many of us who just need to fall on our face and seek God's forgiveness and repentance. Lay ourselves open. And Can I tell you, no one is beyond God's forgiveness. If David could be forgiven by God, as someone who abused his authority, someone who had somebody murdered, Somebody who committed adultery with another man's wife. Can I tell you this? God can and is willing to forgive you. Each of us live with the reality of sin. The danger is when we begin to rationalize or excuse or just begin to live with our sin. If we want to live the reality of what David wrote, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Can I challenge you? Don't wait any longer offer complete confession and complete repentance. That is where each one of us in our lives must start. Whether it's for the first time as we come to Christ, or whether it's on a daily basis because we are sinful. But the second part of this passage may be the one that's a little tougher. Because it's the idea that I need to live in order to forgive those who have sinned against us. And I want to challenge you that no one, because of God's pattern, is beyond our forgiveness as well. This may be the most difficult part of this Lord's Prayer to to pray. We have been hurt. Some of us have been hurt deeply. Those we love have been hurt, and humanly speaking, it's impossible to live forgiveness. The reality is that when I don't begin the process of forgiveness, it will be impossible for me to live, as David even said, with a clean heart and with the joy of salvation that I once had. We can't experience the fullness that God has to offer unless we are willing to begin the forgiveness process with others. You know, if you are here and you're struggling to forgive someone this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm not going to just say, you know what, just forgive them. It's the right thing to do because I know how humanly impossible that can be. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to spend one month praying for them. And no, I'm not asking you to pray for retribution. I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to say pray for their life to end, although sometimes we may want to do that. But rather, I want to ask you to pray this way. Pray that those who have sinned against you would see the actual condition of their heart. You know, ask that God would reveal to them the condition of their heart, which is desperately wicked. And then ask ask God that through his steadfast love and mercy that they would first seek forgiveness from him. You know, I believe if we have been hurt and we begin to pray those two prayers, I believe God will begin to work in our lives in such a way that supernatural forgiveness can take place. When we begin to practice and understand forgiveness, we then can be able to pray that God would change our lives and theirs. As we've been in this series, Lord, teach us to pray. Every week we've said together this Lord's Prayer and we began to understand it probably in a little different way than we ever have before. And what I know is this week when I pray the Lord's Prayer and I get to that place that says, forgive us our debts, I'm good with that because I know God's unending love and mercy. But when I have to pray, Lord, forgive me, Forgive those who I've been hurt by. That's a little tougher. And what I'm asking that this morning, in just a second as we say this prayer together, that when you get to that part, what you're ultimately asking is, God, enable me through your pattern and your power to forgive those who have sinned against me. Would you stand with me this morning? And we're going to together ask God to teach us to pray this prayer. Would you say the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You now as we get ready to sing this morning, one last song. I want to challenge you, if you're here this morning and you're struggling accepting God's forgiveness, please don't wait any longer. You know, as they're playing, if you need to come up here and kneel down and pray and spend some time with God, do that. Come and confess your sins. And ask the one who gives grace and mercy abundantly to step into your life. Or maybe you're here and somebody has hurt you. And you're just not sure that you can walk through this. Can I challenge you maybe for the first time, come up here and pray that God would show them their heart and that they would realize his abundant mercy and unending love in their own life. Because at that point, I believe that's where God's forgiveness of us intersects with our forgiveness of them. Father, this issue of forgiveness is one of the most difficult things, humanly speaking, to wrap our minds, our hearts, and our lives around. But I also believe that it is the one thing that can speak to the world around us of your unending lover, love and your incredible power. Lord, I pray that as we sing this last song, and as we pray, that you would reveal in us areas in our own life that we need to seek your forgiveness and areas in our life where we need to forgive those around us. And we ask it all in your Son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us for the next message in our Teach Us to Pray series. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at grandpoint.church, and until next time, remember that you belong here.